0: And we're doing a series called Resident Aliens, and I think as the weeks go on, you'll understand that a little bit more, what we're looking at, according to 1 Peter. Now, we kind of started in the middle, uh, we started in chapter 2, but it's really the intro where we need to start, because we need to understand, as Peter writes this letter to the church, where, where he's coming from. And so this is why we are starting here in chapter 2. In verses 9 to 12 or so, but really it's 11 and 12 we're holding in on. And that is kind of the scripture, the the premise, the background of his book, but also of what we're going to do over these weeks. Uh, Hurricanes. (laughs) Don't go there, Pastor. (coughs) This was Hurricane Katrina. Remember that? Remember watching those in New Orleans and how they were hit and stuck in the mess? and thousands of people were displaced and had to leave their homes. The homes were gone, much like we see in Fort Myers and other places right now in Florida. And some moved to other cities, we heard about in Louisiana, and some to Houston, and some to Dallas, not knowing when they would be able to return home. Months later, many people could still not return home, and now they're getting frustrated and they're getting angry. And although they had places to sleep and food to eat and clothes on their back, they were not happy. Although they had opportunities for new lives and new jobs and a new start, they were not excited. Although the victims of Katrina had the ability to send their kids to new schools and to see new places and to do new things, they were not thrilled. No matter how great the places were, many displaced because of katrina from new orleans were frustrated why were they frustrated because they were not home they were not home it didn't matter how wonderful dallas or houston could be these cities were not their home they were not new orleans now why do i say all this today My friends, as Christians, we should never be satisfied with the things this world offers us and holds. Innate in all of us is this holy dissatisfaction if you are in Christ with the things that are going on in our world and the things around us. And we will never feel settled, we will never feel at home if we are in Christ. Because this isn't... Our home. And it never will be our home. The truth that Paul Peter is trying to get through in this letter is that we are resident aliens. We are exiles. We are sword in this world. And we know that something isn't right. And we long for home. so we will continue in first peter in these days and right up into advent now we're not going to study the whole letter because we don't have time for that but we will purposely i prayed and looked and searched and prayed and searched some more until i found what i felt was the messages of first peter that will get this across to us that we are indeed resident aliens in this world unlike the other letters many of the other letters they were written to a specific church Peter writes this letter to the whole church at large. It was written to strangers scattered abroad, he said. And it was loved and read by the whole church. It was a letter that was much appreciated. Peter, although he had not met them, he loved them. And we know he even uses the term beloved in his letter. It's one of the first places it's used. And it was written out of a pastor's heart. His reason for writing this was to encourage Christians going through difficulties. You know, God, I really enjoyed that this week. Something spoke to me, and I had to write it down. That the word encourage means to give someone else courage. Man, if there's anything that's needed in our day, is encouragement. To go around and give each other courage that's needed in these days. And I think it's important to hear what Peter would say to the church in these days. That's why we're going through this series. The recipients of Peter's letter were Gentile Christians who were facing the threat of persecution. You see, there was the great fire of Rome back in, and they actually have the date in history, July 19th, 64 AD. And the fire burned in Rome for three days and three nights. And the Romans were so frustrated and they were suspect of Nero because Nero wanted a big building project and nobody would agree with him and so they believe that Nero is the one, in history will kind of allude to that, that he is the one who set Rome on fire to burn his own people that he was supposed to serve in order that he might have his building projects. And the Thing that happened though as the Roman people were irate and they were getting very upset with Emperor Nero he was looking for a scapegoat and the scapegoat became Christians Christians became his scapegoat and a savage outbreak of persecution occurred so to live as a Christian in Peter's day was not all hunky-dory, was not all, oh, the blessings of the Lord just fall upon me. It was difficult to be a Christian in Peter's day. They had faced all kinds of trials and tribulations, and they were now facing the reality of a threat as they are hearing the news of Christians around that area being persecuted for their faith. And they're sitting under this threat. And so Peter's writing to them to give them courage, but you know what? There was another threat that Peter is writing to, and it's a threat that we see today. It's called compromise. It's called complacency. It's called assimilation to fit in with the world. It's like, okay, so now we're coming under persecution. Well, we'll just we'll just not ruffle anybody's feathers. We'll just kind of run and hide. We'll, we'll, we'll just put the blankets over our heads and believe it's all going to go away. Hmm. Do you think that might be a threat today in the church? Beat me up, Scotty! Take me out of this. I don't want to live here anymore. I can imagine for the persecuted church today, it would be easy to fall under that. And this is the real testing of the faith. And we'll look at that in November, the persecuted church that is suffering today. How easy it would be for them to just say, I won't bother. I'll just fit in. I, I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to suffer for Christ. And so there was the threat of Rome, but there was also the threat right within the church to just throw in the towel. My friends, there are many today, in the light of all that we've been through, the COVID and the pandemic, and even now what we're going through, and people going around saying it's the last days. It was the last days since Christ has been born. Amen. We're moving towards them. I don't know how much time we have, and we're not to even talk about that. Because the Lord knows. Only the Father knows. Yeah. Only the Father knows. But we are moving. We are in this new era. We are in this new epoch of the kingdom of God. And it happened the moment the king was born. And we're moving towards this kingdom. And there will come a day. But we don't know when. And so we need to be ready. And so these threats, my friends, are still raging today as resident aliens in this strange land, which is not our true home, we are bound to experience difficulty and trials. Oh, thanks, Pastor, just what I wanted to come to church and hear. Read this. Do you know it? Do you realize what the Apostle Paul went through? Do you realize how most of the disciples, 11 of them, how they died for the cause of Christ and were martyred for the faith? Have you read, have you spent any time reading Christian history? Christians through all walks of life, throughout all the years, have faced all kinds of tribulations and trials and difficulties. And it's not what we want to hear, but it's the truth. You can fill a church tomorrow telling them something different. Or we can talk about the truth and get the encouragement, the courage that we need to continue on and to fight the good fight of faith in these days for what God would have us do. So in today's passage, Peter urges the readers to bring their own sinful desires under the submission and conduct of, themselves in a way that would glorify God. He says, first of all, as resident as resident aliens, live holiness in your private life. In your private life between the Lord, the Lord wants you to live in holiness. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. And so we look at our verse 11 here, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, there's all different words that you will see in the different versions there, to abstain. From the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and so it is an urgent tone here because peter says i urge you this is not a suggestion this is not well if you're comfortable with it maybe you should this is peter is trying to encourage these believers who are receiving his letter i urge you this is a challenge and there is this Urgent tone. And the key to living a holy life is to embrace your kingdom citizenship. We are not citizens. divisiveness and not willing to speak with a brother and not willing to work issues out and somehow to think that that's going to be accepted over there but somehow god's going to have separate corners for people that haven't forgiven and haven't been able to get along in the kingdom of god <laughs> we're supposed to live our life here and now based on our kingdom citizenship. before peter calls the church to holiness he states the grounds for his appeal. He says, we are exiles, we are resident aliens, this is not our home. We're in a foreign land, my friends, if you are in Christ. And so this is supposed to describe our spiritual and our social condition of Let's thus, thus reading Peter here today. See, they were the redeemed people of God. We know this because, notice as as even secretly read here back in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. If you are in Christ, you belong to God. We are in this world, you've heard it said. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. (laughs) Philippians 3.20 tells us, but you are, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize today that you have dual citizenship? Now, Pastor Mike and I have dual citizenship. Some of you don't know that, that we have Canadian Italian. And the truth of it today is if you are in Christ, you might reside in West Prince, Prince Edward Island, But Peter is saying to those who were listening and receiving this letter, you have a dual citizenship as well. But the truth is, this citizenship that you have with Christ outweighs, my friend, (laughs) supersedes your citizenship here as a Canadian in West Prince. Oh man, I wish the church would get this. I wish the church would understand that it's not about nationalism. Now, I'm proud of Canada, and I love Canada, and I pray for Canada. But it's not about nationalism. Because ultimately, my citizenship, the one that really matters, that's going to last for eternity, is there. Not here. And we see so much out there that Christians believe that, that, that they live in such a way that they want to fight and they want to be graceful. And they, they want to do all kinds of things and they're working so hard. And, now hear me right, I know some good godly people who are into politics mostly. I need to be. But this world is not our home. This is not where we're supposed to be putting all our energy and all of our time and building up treasures that in one day, like that, is gone. Or you leave it to your kids. Because we can't take it with us. Jesus told us that we're supposed to be building up our treasures where? as we do that, it will result in alienation. It will result in troubles and difficulty. Sometimes it will result in those around us think we're nuts and we're crazy. Why would you go there? Why would you go to church? Why would you get up on a Sunday morning and go to Sunday school? They don't comprehend. And they won't. And even today, if if you're going to live out as, on this earth as a citizen of heaven, you just might, like many believers today, might face persecution for your faith. And so resident aliens practice that inward purity. Verse 11 again says, Beloved urge you uh, as sojourners and exiles to what? Abstain from the passions of Of the flesh. Right? Of the flesh. Paul liked to use that word quite a bit, didn't he? About the flesh. See, there is this reality that Peter is saying here. it's, It's not just about rejecting certain things. It's about renouncing them. That we don't want anything to do with them anymore because they don't have anything to do with our citizenship. Holiness is not cultivating how close we can come to the edge. Our, one of our children, he had a way that, you know, he would say, now, this is what you have to do. Now, I don't want you going out on the road. You're allowed to play in the yard, but you, if I catch you on the road, you're not getting to play outside for a while. And he literally would have his toes on the end of the curb and look back over his shoulder, watching me watching through the kitchen window. Is that what Christ has for us as believers? Is that the kind of holiness that we have? That we want to be right on the edge? (laughs) And do just the bare minimum of what we need to get into the kingdom of God? That is not what God has for us. That's not what Christ has for us. That is not the holiness that God is asking of us. Peter says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. This abstain word there means a continual action. It means repeating it. It means making a new habit for your life. And and the truth of it is those believers who go around and say, well, 20 years, praise the Lord. Well, what is God doing in your life today? You need to be abstaining today. You need to be saying, I'm not going I don't live there anymore. My citizenship, my main citizenship is not in this world. It is over there, and I'm going Holiness reflects our citizenship. That's why we walk in holiness, why we live in holiness. It's not about just certain behaviors. It's not just about abstaining from a list, because then it just becomes rules and regulations. It is my desire in my heart has been changed and transformed by the Holy Spirit, and I no longer desire those things. Instead, I desire the things of God. See, many promote behavioral abstinence, but true godliness works on the inside out. I like what Warren Wiersbe said, the sin we fail to conquer will eventually conquer us. The sin we fail to conquer will eventually conquer us. Sometimes we're very gullible. I find the church in North America, if we're not careful, we can be very gullible. Paul would say, who has beguiled you? (laughs) Who has bewitched you? You see, there was a woman, she called the police after being sold what she thought was a flat-screen TV. And she was approached by a man who offered her a great deal on a flat-screen TV, and I've seen this go on in Italy. And it was only $500, it was the back of somebody's truck, right? Those five-finger specials. And so she said to the man, well, I don't have $500. That's a really good deal. I don't have $500. I've got $300. He says, that's great. I'll make a special allowance. I'll sell you the TV for $300. And so it was all bubble wrapped, and it had Walmart stickers on it. And she got a remote. She got it home, and she was so excited about her new flat screen TV for $300. And when she opened it up, it was another door. (laughs) And then she tried to call the police. (laughs) She had been seduced. She had been foolish. Why do I say that? I say that because if we're not careful as believers, the enemy is prowling around looking for someone to devour, looking for someone who will be gullible, looking for someone who will fall for stupidity and foolishness and before you know it you wake up one day and it's all gone see Satan seduces us with all kinds of, hear me right good things, did you hear that? what things? good things Good things. Satan is not going to seduce you with the bad things because a lot of those things you haven't done for decades it's okay, you're not going to be back up probably doing those things but what he will seduce you with is good things Oh, this is a good thing. This won't cause any issues. This won't cause any problems. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then all of a sudden, you don't have time for prayer, and you don't have time for study, and you don't have time to worship, and you don't have time to gather with the brothers and sisters in Christ. You've been fooled. You've been seduced. Peter is saying, be careful. Watch out. Watch out for this that can get hold of our flesh resident aliens resist spiritual attacks. And my friends, we're always under attack until the day we go home where the Lord comes, we're always under attack.
1: Beloved, I urge
0: you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What's he saying here? Which wage war against the soul. So we see here this dualism of the flesh and the soul. And many times we just read through those things and not really take the time to pull it apart. The flesh represents my relationship with sin. The soul represents my relationship with God. But remaining sin, and walking in sin, and knowingly continuing in things that we know would not please God, starts a war within us between our flesh and our soul. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. That conflicted individual, and I have met people over the years who have not crucified the flesh, who have not surrendered their hearts and life, who have not asked for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They live miserable Christian lives because they're living in a war. They're living in a conflict that's constantly going on in their hearts. And so the flesh is wanting things and is warring against the soul of what God is wanting. Peter is not talking about the world or the devil here because we have three enemies. And the enemy of the soul is the devil, which is our infernal enemy. The world is that external enemy that keeps coming against us. And the flesh, if we're not careful, if it's not been crucified, becomes that internal enemy. And what Peter is saying here, that the believers are facing the civil war that's going on within between the flesh and the soul. This is why we are told in God's Word what do we have to do with the flesh daily? Crucify it. Crucify. It's a daily process where we crucify that flesh within us that wants the things that are not pleasing with God. And so as we crucify the flesh, the soul, that war, is dealt with and we're able to be at peace with God. And Paul made it very clear. If you didn't understand what the flesh is or the sins of the flesh, Paul makes it very clear. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, that would be the flesh. The results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not... Did you hear that? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is why it's important for us to have these kinds of conversations. Because somehow in the church today, there is a belief that I can come to church on Sunday and be involved in all kinds of things through the week and all kinds of different lifestyles. And somehow, because I got my ticket to heaven, hallelujah, I'm going to make it there in the morning. Paul's making it known to the church in Galatians. That you now that have been citizens of heaven, that you have been redeemed from this world and you are now in the kingdom ready for his kingdom and ready for his return. You don't live in that world anymore. So therefore, what are you doing with these sins of the flesh? They need to be crucified. They need to be dealt with. They need to be brought under the blood of Christ. Praise God. If we sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate. We just go to the Lord, we ask for His cleansing, we we bring our sins to Him, and we ask for His redemption once again. I don't want it to be made known to people that because something like this, you've been involved in those things, that somehow you're done. Because praise God for His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. But you know today, one of the biggest issues that pastors deal with is that hidden sin of pornography. And they've been having retreats and having things talking about it because there's the pastors who are getting up behind the pulpit on Sunday preaching the word and going home at night and watching porn. I'm thinking somehow that's okay because I got up and preached the word this morning. And I'm just showing you some of the things that pastors have been falling to. And, and you have no idea what any of us, the battles that pastors have been facing through this storm of a pandemic. And my friends were falling like flies. And we need to be praying. We need to what? Encourage one another. We need to be giving each other courage to live a godly, holy life in the days to come. But here's the point that Peter's making about all this. So you have this inward purity. There is this life, private life that I have between the Lord. But now there's also this public life That's lived out there. That's lived out 24-7. And so resident aliens live with honor in the public. See, verse 12 now transitions to our public. And he says, we are to conduct, he says to you, you're to conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits the practice of honorable conduct. Godliness is about more than you just refrain from doing those sins of the flesh that he talked about. Godliness now is about this habitual conduct, this, this what you're doing in front of people day in and day out. Barclay said it this way, here is our challenge and our inspiration. It is by loveliness of our daily life and conduct that we must commend Christianity to those who do not believe. We need new paradigms, people. We need to find new ways to evangelize and to come alongside people. But in some ways, the new ways are just old ways. (laughs) We just need to revisit them again. See, see, we live in a day that usually when you were sharing your faith, you would open up the Word of God and you would point them to scriptures because people had a foundation in the Word of God and they knew the Word of God and they respected the Word of God. Is that what's going on today? There might be some. Praise God. But we're living in a day where people have no interest at all in this. We're living in a day when you say to people about hell and heaven, they have no interest. They don't care. They really don't care. So we keep sharing the gospel, which we've done for 40, 50, 60 years, and we're wondering, like, why is it not happening? Well, it's no different in Peter's day. Because it was a fallen world. It was a secular world. And Canada is becoming more and more secular as we sit here and move on in the days ahead. And we can sit here and we can talk about how bad the days are getting. Isn't that awful? Oh, it's so bad. That's terrible. Did you hear what happened? Oh, I didn't oh, always off, And people will be lost for two. What Peter is telling these people to do that we're reading his letter, I believe that's why a few were going through it, is part of what we need to be looking at in our day. And Peter is saying that in difficult days, even when people revile you, even when people slander you, even when people say all kinds of lies of you, think you're stupid, think you're crazy, think you're a stranger, you're odd, you live a life in such a way that you make them change their minds. You don't go and hold a placard. You don't go out and retaliate. You don't go and get angry. You don't go do any of those things, Peter is saying. What you do is you live a life in such a way that proves them all wrong. That's what God is asking of us. Not saying that we don't share the gospel. But he's saying you need to live your life in such a way that it earns you the right to sit down and talk with somebody and share the gospel. I like what Plato said. Somebody was speaking ill of him and they were spreading all kinds of lies about him. And this is what Plato said. And it's almost like what Peter is saying. When men speak ill of thee, live so that nobody will believe them. (laughs) That's Peter's premise for 1 Peter. When men speak ill of thee, live in such a way nobody is going to believe those lies. They're not going to believe it verse 12, it says that they would speak, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. And the purpose of that honorable conduct says that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we should practice honorable conduct so that when unbelievers will see, they will see that there is a God and there is a different kingdom and there is a different citizenship that they can have and they can also be a part of it. And so we're living it in such a way. Notice that he says in verse 12, when they speak against you, and so he's saying that the attacks will come on us verbally. And maybe this is prophetic today. Maybe I'm trying to prepare the church for what's coming. But there will come a day, and it has probably already come, and I don't even as a pastor, you know, sometimes people think we're naive, we're stupid, what people say about us, but we're aware of what goes on around us and what is being said of us. But I have to live my life in such a way that people won't believe those lies, and that's slander. And that's what he's saying here. Life isn't fair. Get with it. Get over it. It has not been fair, and it will not be fair. Life will not be fair. You will not be treated in the way you should be treated. You do not deserve often the way that you're treated. You don't deserve how you're treated sometimes by workmates or schoolmates, or by people in your own family who don't understand your faith. He is saying it is something that is normal and get ready for it and expect it that people will speak and call you even an evildoer. That's what was going on in Peter's Day. Do you realize the lies that they were spreading about Christians? They said, first of all, Christians were cannibals. Do you know that's what they told people? Christians were cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. They they ate the body and drank the blood of Christ. This is what was being spread out in those days. Then they turned around and said that they are people of incest because they're brothers and sisters and they come for a love feast. So there's incest going on in there. And yet in the midst of that, do they get up in the square and start shouting and telling people? No. They quietly, one by one, lived their lives in such a godly conduct that all of their neighbors and people around them began to believe that all of that was not true. And Peter is saying, in our days, and all the difficulties that we are going through, God is wanting to live our lives in such a way that people will not believe what is being said about us. There's only one way to refute it, as we see. What did Jesus say? Read this with me. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, Persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you possible for my sake. Jesus says, this, In those moments, you're blessed. We can't comprehend that. We can't wrap our minds around that. That is not the Christian citizenship that I want. And I must go out looking for it. But he's saying, Don't be surprised by it. And Peter is saying to those in the day I want to encourage you for you to have courage and the way you need to have courage when people are saying terrible things about you as a Christian or they're even doing terrible things to you as a Christian you need to walk in a conduct that is worthy of your citizenship. Because on that day of visitation when the Lord returns wouldn't it be wonderful to have family members and to have uh, people we work with all say, well, I'm here, ready for the Lord's return because so-and-so lived a life that was worthy and shared the gospel with me. That's what has going to be about. It's not just, hallelujah, I'm on my way to heaven, but who's going with me? Who am I taking with me? Who is also going to be a part of what God wants to do? So this is the evangelistic strategy of Peter. And I believe it needs to be the evangelistic strategy, part of it, not all of it, but part of what we are going through in these days. Would I love to say that things are going to go back to how they were in the 50s, and the 60s, and the 70s? There's no going back in the kingdom of God. Anymore. And we can sit there and complain and we can sit there and say, isn't it awful? Or we can, as a good stubborn, Army girl who used to sing that song and was raised in the church, stand up. Stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. The enemy will want us to run and hide. The enemy will want us to bury our heads. The enemy will want us just to assimilate, to just sit back, to compromise those things that we know that have been important in our faith all these decades. Peter would say to the church today, if he was here, I believe, and Jesus would say, it's time to stand up and stand out. And don't fall for the attacks of the enemy. Even those good things that would take you away from the things of God. Worship is going to come. And Jesus said it this way. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. What's that? Good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven, which is in heaven. That's how Jesus said it. William Barclay said it this day. Whether we like it or not, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life, her life, he or she either commands it to others, or makes them think less of it. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. That's the strongest missionary force in the world. Is a Christian life lived in a way that goes counter our culture and shows that our citizenship is over there and not here. Many of you have heard this. I'll end with this. And I was thinking of that. You are writing the gospel a chapter a day. By the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Hey, what is the gospel according to you? Won't you stand with us?